Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Today, uh, kind of all over the place with this for reasons I won't go into, but this is a message that is neither about Thanksgiving nor Christmas. Hang on. We've been talking for weeks about every Christian being a minister, and I need to cover at least one more thing. I speak often. Um, have already today, right after praise and worship, about the generous and extravagant love of God and His grace. And there's a very popular... Uh, very popular, well-known minister, pastor, a successful pastor, huge church, huge media presence, and he uh, naturally takes a lot of flack. That's the nature of the beast. Let, let, before I say anything else, let me tell you uh, that you don't have to necessarily do anything wrong to start receiving a ton of criticism. All you have to do is be successful. All you have to do is be famous. All you have to do is be known. Uh, the more successful you are, the more criticism and the more attacks you are going to attract. That's just the nature of the beast, right? Uh, but this guy, so for one thing, he does get a lot of flack just for being super successful. But he also receives a lot of criticism that is legitimate. I'm not going to name him, and you can probably figure out who I'm talking about. What I'm going to say about him is simply, just as an intro here, I've defended him a lot in the past, and I continue to on these grounds. We live in a world where there are unfortunately way too many people who don't know God but think they know about him and their own, the only picture they have of God for whatever reason is of this angry tyrant who is just looking for people to mess up so that he can strike them down. Right? And it, it amazes me uh, to be reminded of this but there are people right here in the United States of America and certainly all over the world who need to know that God loves them. They need to know the personality of God and what, what, uh, what moves him and what drives him. God is not on the lookout for sin. What's it say? The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is completely his. Excuse me. And Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's not looking for sin. He's looking for faith. He's looking for faithfulness. Now, there is such a thing as the wrath of God, and we're going to talk about it today. God really does hate sin. But God is not, what drives God's train, so to speak, is he, he takes no pleasure in looking for sin so that he can smack down sinners. And this guy that I'm, that I'm just sort of uh, uh, referring to here is very good at opening people's eyes to the fact that that's not what God's about. He's looking for ways to bless you. He, his heart is to redeem you and put you in a place where he can bless you without compromising his justice. Now, uh, having said that, and knowing how much we celebrate the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning other things. And uh, I can remember listening to, uh, a lot of you probably remember Keith Green, 
and he did a long performance of a song uh, called The Sheep and the Goats, and it really wasn't so much of a song. It was just a piano, uh, this uh, jivey little piano piece while he told the story in a very dramatic fashion of the separation of the sheep and the goats. And at the very end, at the very end of that song, as he's pounding it out on the piano, he says, and the only difference according to, uh, between the sheep and the goats, according to the Scriptures, is what they did and didn't do. And after listening to the whole thing, 100% based on Scripture, I thought, no, that's salvation by works. Now this was just one you can't just take that, you can't sit, you base your whole theology of sin and heaven and hell uh, on that, on just the sheep and the goats. But it is an important reminder that our deeds, our actions, the way we live are an integral part of our salvation. What did James say? Show me your faith, uh, show me your faith without works. How are you going to do that? I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. What does that mean? That we have to add works to our faith in order to be saved? No, he's saying that real faith, if it's real faith, is always accompanied by works. It will change the way we live, the way we speak, everything, if it's real. We have a kind of tunnel vision in our culture today. And one of the reasons uh, that people are opposed to Christianity is, for the, is, is the fact that Christianity has historically been opposed to certain things, very publicly opposed. And I'll tell you, I mean, Scripture, it couldn't be clearer. Uh, abortion, it's an abomination. So is transgenderism. So is homosexuality. But you know what else is? Fornication. We don't combat that very much, do we? Had a, had a situation, I would, I'll just say I, it was a situation that I was involved in, at least via conversation. And it was a very ugly one where a young man had been uh, accused of um, homosexual pedophilia. Just put it that way. It was ugly. And uh, fast forward a year or two, and this same young man was concerned because he thought he had gotten his girlfriend pregnant. And the father told me, I'm so relieved. And you see what he's saying. Uh, it's, it's less likely that my son is a homosexual pedophile because he got his girlfriend pregnant. But you see, God is just as displeased with heterosexual fornication, sex outside of marriage, as he is with any of the things that, that we traditionally take a more public stand against, right? Now, again, there's reasons for that, because people aren't out there marching for every sin. They're only marching and, and uh, you know, for protection over certain sins. I don't want to go down that road too far. But we do tend uh, to ignore certain sins in our own lives, in our own societies, in our own families, whatever, because th those are ours. You know, let's say you've probably seen this a million times. Don't judge people just because they sin differently than you. But we're, again, we're not out there looking to judge people. We shouldn't be. We should be out there looking to see people redeemed, to see them saved. But in order for somebody to be saved, they have to recognize there's something they need to be saved from. The reason God hates those things is because he loves people. 
this is where we're going to wind up in this message. Sin leads to death. Sin kills. God hates these sins for the same reason he hates cancer. Because it leads to death. And God's desire is to redeem us from these things. You don't get mad at somebody because they have a disease. And it's the same way with these sins. But we've got to be willing to call them what they are. Let's look at this. Um, <laughs> there was, oh, I wish I had saved it somehow. I'm not too good at, there's so many different videos that pop up under different, you know, Facebook owns, what, Instagram or whatever, and Facebook has its own reels and things like that. So sometimes there'll be a really a great snippet of a sermon, and I don't know how to save it because it's not really a Facebook post or whatever, but if I could have, I would have, and I wasn't just, I wasn't thinking clearly enough to ask Riley or somebody to help me with it. But it was, a, it was an African preacher, and he was saying some of the most basic stuff about, uh, you are a Christian, you should not wear this. If you are a Christian, you should not say this on social media. And, and all this, it just seemed so basic, and yet it was so clear, and the, and the cheers were so loud. that They were things that should not be controversial in terms of how Christians should act. But it's funny what people get their back up about. Anyway, I didn't want to spend too much time on that. Look at this first. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I'm going to read a longer passage here from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering, the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. There's a lot in that passage. Uh, there's a lot of stuff woven together and run-on sentences and stuff. He's saying, we've read these prophets, and these prophets were writing, these prophets were ministering because things were being revealed to them, and it took time for everybody to realize that the things they were speaking about prophetically all those years are the things that are happening to us right now. Therefore, Verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now what does holy mean? Sanctified, right? What does sanctified mean? Set apart. Different. Different. I always talk about the holiness of God. When we say a, a holy person, or when the world says a, a, uses the phrase a holy person, they usually mean a very good person. Someone who, is, uh, who just is uh, nice. Or maybe they mean a very religious person. But I always talk, when I talk about the holiness of God, I think about the otherness of God. You know, when God says things, you made these judgments about me because you thought I was entirely like you. But he's not, is he? He says, so be different because I'm different. Look at this in uh, Colossians chapter 3. Another long passage. I don't think I have any more long passages to read today, but in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Listen to this. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And the, the, that verse 6 there, because of these things the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Wow, that is a scary verse. Now I want to start by pointing out you and I are not the sons of disobedience. It doesn't say that the wrath of God is coming on everybody who had a lustful thought. It doesn't say the wrath of God is coming on anybody who, uh, who, who spoke a cuss word. All the things that listed here, it doesn't say the wrath of God is coming on everybody who does those things, including Christians. What he's saying is, look, we know what brings the wrath of God, and it's sin in every form. He's saying, you guys were like this, just like every other believer. Think about those carnal folks over in Corinth. Look how, just how deep into sin they were. He says, but you've been saved. You've been saved out of the things that are inviting the wrath of God into the world. It's not going to fall on you now. Because why? Because you're in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. The wrath of God isn't going to fall on Jesus. That happened at the cross once and for all. But since you are saved, stop acting like the people who are still going to experience the wrath of God. Your destiny is different, so let your lifestyle reflect that. 
Stop acting like a dead man. The person who did those things is dead. Let them stay dead, put on the new man, and live that new life. But why, if it has nothing to do with me going to heaven? It's kind of the wrong question, isn't it? Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is one of my favorite passages. And I haven't preached it, I don't think, in at least a year. And I like to touch on it at least once a year. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, When they speak against you as evildoers, this goes back to what I said near the beginning of this sermon, people are going to disparage Christianity. This is sadly where we are today. Christianity itself is seen as oppressive, outdated, unenlightened, you name it. And of course it's ridiculous, and most of the people who speak about and shoot their mouths off about Christianity in those terms generally have no idea what they're talking about. But there is one thing that gives them a foothold, and it's this. It's Christians, or those who claim to be Christians, but they live life no differently from the unbelieving world around them. Maybe, in the extreme cases, there are those who the only thing that differs is they would say, I'm a Christian. I am a Christian. I was reading, uh, I, had this, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. There's a lead singer of a well-known uh, 80s, I don't know, hair band, hard rock band, very, very uh, rebellious um, stage presence. And, uh, but he's, uh, he's also said some very conservative, very pro-family things. He's one of those uh, seemingly rare seeming rarities in the entertainment world he's uh, been uh, married uh, to the same woman his uh, since since he got married and uh, and he has some very pro-family things to say and somebody and they'd asked him if he was a christian he said i was born and raised a christian uh baptized confirmed all that stuff and i still adhere to those principles now, I no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, and I no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then you ain't a Christian, dude. And that's sad. It really is sad. But, then, but it's just as sad when somebody says, I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. I do believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, and I, and I have... Uh, and I, I proclaim that I'm a Christian, and then their lifestyle, other than that phrase that may have come out of their mouth, you cannot distinguish anything about them that makes them different from somebody who blasphemes the name of the Lord. 
You know, God said to Israel on more than one occasion that his name was being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of them. They had to be reminded again and again that their troubles were not due to the enemies around them. They were God's special people. God determined to enter into covenant with Israel to bless the world through Israel. And he made these promises to them. And there was nothing anybody could do. All the other gods that the nations were worshiping were, not, they were in fact not gods. We get this imagery of them being inferior gods, but they are not gods at all. Israel was, could absolutely, since they were the people of the one true God, they were invincible as long as they did what God told them to do. And they'd cry out to God because their enemies were coming in. And God had to remind them through the prophets again and again, this isn't happening because your enemies are stronger than me. This is happening because you are causing my name to be blasphemed. It's because before this enemy started attacking you, you already were living just like everybody around you. They even said it, didn't they, when it came time, uh, right when, when the monarchy was established. Give us a king. Why? So they could be like the nations around them, because they all had kings. They didn't want to be different. They didn't want to be holy. People are going to blaspheme the name of God. I'm just saying, let's don't let it be because of us. Is that fair? Do we have a deal? This goes back to something I said early in this series about us all being ministers. And I think, again, we are talking about social media uh, in particular, but it, but it certainly goes beyond that. If you can't imagine a minister doing it, then don't do it. If you can't imagine a minister saying it or posting it or wearing it, don't do it because you're a minister. Here's where it comes together for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I uh, ran into an old friend at the store the other day. I say old friend, someone I've been friends with for years, and also older. And uh, this is a guy, many of you know him. He's not, not part of this church. But I know I've met few people in my life who love the Lord as much as this guy does. I know very few people uh, who have a more dedicated and disciplined devotional life than this guy does who know the word who uh, very few people know the word like this guy does and uh therefore every time i see him whether it's been five minutes five days or in this case probably five months the first thing out of his mouth is something that he's just read and read in the word or something that the lord has shared with him and this time he said hey this is practically the first thing out of his mouth after he got my attention he said if I say JCC, what does that mean to you? What would that make you think of? Huh? 
Jesus Christ crucified. I, I, I got the Jesus Christ part. I said, it's uh, Jesus Christ sent me. He goes, crucified. Jesus Christ crucified. You know how Paul said to the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ crucified. And then he went on, he explained how excited he was, how there was a whole sermon there because there's his name, there's his title, and there's what he did. And then it was funny, he clarified. Now, now you know and understand when I said Jesus Christ crucified, when I say that's what he did, it doesn't mean Jesus Christ crucified someone. It means Jesus Christ was crucified. Yeah, I know, I get that, I get that. But I asked him, I said, I know that scripture, of course. I said, but do you ever, I said, this has always bugged me. When I read Paul writing this to the Corinthians, why does he leave out the resurrection? Because I would say, if I'm preaching Christianity to the Gentiles, I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him risen from the dead. There's couple things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over one very quickly because it really wasn't in my notes. It just kind of, I just was reminded of it. You remember when Paul was debating with the philosophers on Mar- Mars Hill? He didn't go there. God didn't send him there to, to preach to him. He's actually on his way somewhere else and he's, he's got a couple days to kill. So instead of just cooling his heels, he goes to the marketplace and starts to interact with these people. And it says that uh, you know, he, he decided he preached the unknown God to them. Remember? Oh, you see, they're very religious people. You've got statues to every God. In fact, you're so thorough. I even saw one to an unknown God. This is the one I want to speak to you about. And people are listening to him. And then he talks about Jesus rising from the dead. And at that point, the people started to laugh and many turned away. But a few followed him. Don Richardson, the legendary missionary, uh, points out in his book, I believe it's in his book, uh, Eternity in Their Hearts, that he thinks Paul made a mistake there because he talked about God, he talked about Jesus, and he talked about the resurrection without first talking about why Jesus had to die. I think he makes an excellent case for it. Paul, and, and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Corinth was notoriously carnal. Uh, if, you, if you read the history, the things that they were doing, we're not just talking about a, a few uh, bad words here and there. We're talking about ritual sex, uh, transgenderism, things like this were rampant in the Corinthian church. Paul had a lot to contend with when he went there talking about a holy God and lifestyle and everything else. So he said, notice he, he didn't say, all I ever want to talk to you about is Jesus Christ and him crucif- crucified. He said, when I came to you, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified. Why? Because they needed to understand that the redemption Christ, that God was offering them from their sin, which was going to what? Kill them, like it does everybody who embraces it. Keep in mind, there's more to just, there's there's way more theology involved in salvation than, hey, do you want to go to heaven? We have to understand why we're not going to heaven in the first place. And that we have to understand if we're not going to heaven, where are we going? We're going to hell. We are going to suffer the second death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. And Paul is saying the only way, the thing you need to understand right off the bat is the only way you are going to get out of this is because Jesus Christ was crucified in your place. God didn't just, in his, even in his extravagant grace and mercy and love, didn't just come on the scene and say, here, be forgiven and be saved. I've just wiped everything away. 
what would that do? It would, it would offend, it would violate God's justice. Sin means death. Somebody had to die. So what did Paul tell them when he came to them? I determined to know nothing except he just reminded them constantly, Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ died for you. Even after they accepted Christ, they had that temptation to go back into their former lust. And, it's, and, they, and they might even have argued, as many people do today, well, he'll forgive me. That's not the point. Do you understand what he had to pay to get you forgiven in the first place? Are you going to spit on that kind of generous grace? Are you going to spit on that sacrifice? Are you going to dishonor it? by not living a life that's consistent with the way you know God wants you to live? You understand, I don't think the, the Corinthians were much different than a lot of people today. And I would hope I would say immature believers today who would say, I know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not stupid, so I'm not going to say the things that I struggle with or the things that I embrace. I'm not going to say they're necessarily, necessarily pleasing to God. I'm just going to say God really didn't care all that much. When really we're just kind of going like this, we're not thinking about it too much because we just don't want to think about how much it bothers God. We'd just rather say, oh, well, it's forgiven. And it is. Thank God it is forgiven. The wrath of God is not going to fall on you if you cussed this morning. The wrath of God is not going to fall on you if you struggle with any of the things we've talked about in this list. That's not it. Not if you are a believer. But since the wrath of God is going to fall on the sons of disobedience, shouldn't we be able to distinguish our behavior from theirs? Shouldn't we be about representing the God who loved us enough to pay that price? Never, ever forget that before he was risen, gloriously, triumphantly risen, he was crucified. He suffered a humiliating death. You know, the advent and the incarnation that we are preparing to celebrate this season, beautiful as it is, everything about it touches me, but it is sobering indeed to think about that all of the beauty surrounding that night, that moment, his entrance into the world, the literal incarnation of God the Son becoming a son of man, always for the purpose of his crucifixion, his sacrificial death for you and for me. And praise God, there's a resurrection on the other side of that, but it takes nothing away from the horror of the cross that he was sent to endure. Remember that sin invites death because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Our sin required his sacrifice if we were going to be saved, he had to die. And if we refuse to live our lives in a way that honors that gift, it's not only insulting, that's one thing. It's what does it say about your relationship with God that you would be willing to not be changed by the God who saved you. But also, bringing it back to what we have been talking about the last few weeks, we are failing miserably to represent Christ to the very world that he died for. The world that desperately needs to see something different, something holy. When we go back to the passage in, in uh, 2 Peter there, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that they, even though they're speaking evil about you, 
what's going to be the end result? They will, on account of your conduct, on account of your conduct, glorify God in the day of visitation. How can that be? Only God can bring somebody to salvation. Let me break that down just for a second. Oh, we got plenty of time. So let me break this down for just half an hour. When he talks about the day of visitation, I don't believe he's talking about the return of Christ. I believe he's talking about a particular person's moment of decision. Uh, I wish I could find this statistic, uh, but, but I heard a fascinating uh, breakdown. Somebody had, had done the research, and somehow they'd, they'd arrived at, a per, it looks like a person needs to hear the gospel approximately 38 times before it sticks, before they hear it, before they understand it, and ha-ha, all these connections. I know that something very similar happened to me. I heard the gospel. I grew up reading the Bible or having the Bible read to me or taught to me, and then we went through sort of a little mini revival there in our Methodist church, this uh, lay witness mission, and then hearing these, uh, even the phrase born again, making a decision for Christ, all these things. I heard, I heard, I had enough information to make a decision, but it never clicked until that one night when mom told me, hey, what if lightning strikes in your bed? Oh, now I see the connection. But people will, at some point, after hearing the gospel, they will, they will understand it enough. And I believe, through the grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, they can identify it as true, maybe for a second. And I believe what this scripture is saying is the thing that's going to cause them to step into this life that God has planned for them, to embrace salvation is what you do and what I do. They will on account that what's going to happen on the day of visitation, the day when they understand the gospel message and they are ready to act on it, they will, on account of your good conduct, make a decision that glorifies God on that day. That's a pretty heavy burden, isn't it? All of a sudden it makes it not so much about me, not so much about, yeah, God forgives me. Maybe God wants to do more than forgive you. Maybe he wants to use you. Maybe he wants to inspire you and, and change you to such a way that your behavior makes an impact on somebody else. Rather than have them say, you know, what's the famous Gandhi quote? There's a million different versions of it. But my favorite one is the, and I don't know which, which is the perfectly accurate one, but the one I learned was Gandhi uh, being asked about Christianity, and he said, uh, uh, I've read the Bible, I've studied the life of Jesus, and found him to be a fascinating man. I might perhaps have become a Christian had I never met one. Now, uh, the shorter version is, uh, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Now, on one hand, I do not want to be Gandhi standing before God with that as my excuse for rejecting Jesus Christ. On the other hand, I don't want to be any of the Christians that he met that he met that made him say that. Now none of us do it perfectly. Ultimately, I can't be responsible for your salvation. And we ought to be mature enough before we reject a church, before we reject a relationship, before we, certainly before we reject a truth, to say that, yeah, I, I look at you know, what a, one of my favorite ministers for years, unfortunately, 
at the end of his life, some very disturbing things were revealed about his character. But his teachings still bless me because they were Bible-based. I can separate those things. But I can understand why somebody who might be hurt, maybe a little closer to the situation, would say, I want nothing, nothing else to do with it. There were people who were saved under the ministry, thousands of people under the ministry of a very famous Christian comedian who had purportedly come out of a deep life of satanic involvement. And he spoke very boldly in a very funny and relatable way, and, and, and boy, altars, people would flood the altars to receive Christ. And then it was revealed years later that all the stuff, all the stories he told about his satanic past were made up. Now, did that mean those people didn't get saved? Didn't mean that at all. They should be responding to Jesus. And they could be, it's all right, be hurt, feel a little offended, a little bit betrayed, but that doesn't change the truth of Jesus Christ. It doesn't change the truth of the gospel. On the other hand, you better believe there were some people who say, ah, they're all just a bunch of liars, and they walk away. Now, they're going to have to answer to God, but so is the guy who did all that lying and set them up for that kind of disappointment. Let's live our lives in a way that accurately represents the truth of our Lord and Savior. Accurately represents his love and accurately represents his otherness, his holiness. Yes, praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. Yes, I believe the, the distinguishing mark of the believer ought to be what? Love. Love. Remember when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The other is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then what did he say later? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. And what would be the result? That the world around us would know that we belong to him. Why? Because we love one another. That ought to be the distinguishing mark. But it, it shouldn't stop there. Because I love you and because I love him, that should mean there are certain things that I don't say, that I don't do, that I don't embrace, that I don't approve of. And we've got to be careful not to get legalistic about it and tie those things to our salvation. It should be tied to our love and our, our relationship with God. There are things I don't do because I don't want to disappoint him and because I want to accurately represent him. I don't want somebody turning away from Christ because of me. Do you? Stand up with me. A couple quick invitations, but important ones. Number one, maybe... Uh, and you know what my first invitation always is. If you're not a believer, if you've not confessed Jesus Christ, and you, uh, uh, we read in Romans chapter 10 that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you haven't made that confession unto salvation, uh, I want you to stop and think for a moment and ask yourself why. Do you really not have enough information to believe? Maybe. Uh, is it because you are too attached to certain things in your lifestyle somebody very near and dear to my heart that's the case with uh, they're just not ready to give certain things up or is it because you've been hurt by somebody who presented the gospel to you or is supposed to be a Christian in light of what we've spoken about today please don't let what one person did even if it was legitimately bad don't let that blind you to the fact that Jesus really is who he says he is that God is real that sin is real that heaven is real and hell is real and you've got a decision to make. Don't base it on how poorly one or two people represented Jesus Christ to you.
make your decision based on how much God loves you and the lengths he went to save you. And if there's anybody who needs to make that decision, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make it here in just a minute. The other one is this. I don't want to make it sound easy, but I don't want to make it sound impossible. When we talk about living the kind of life that honors God, glorifies God, and causes people to glorify God in their day of visitation, yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. And Paul talks about the struggle, you know, buffeting the flesh, keeping it down. It does take some effort. On the other hand, we have to realize that everything God has called us to do, everything Jesus commanded us to do, he has given us the power to do. And we're not just talking the willpower. We're talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I think Scripture clearly shows that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens subsequent to the new birth. It's a step beyond salvation. Does it make you any more... uh, entitled to your salvation the holy spirit himself is the one who provides the power to obey him to minister in his name to do the things that jesus commanded us to do cast out demons heal the sick but he also gives us the power to not sin to live lives that are holy and we cannot neglect that because clearly when you, you cannot read the words of Jesus and you cannot read the words of the writers uh, of the epistles and come away with any other conclusion that, that God is certainly concerned with our lifestyle, with the way we live, not just about what happens to us after we die. So the second invitation is twofold, or maybe it's two separate invitations. If you need to make a fresh commitment, not just to appreciating your salvation, but a fresh commitment to living the gospel in a way that honors God, I would love to pray with you or at least let you know that the altars are open for you to to do that in a a meaningful moment. Uh, But really, the main invitation is this. If you've never been uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've never received that second blessing, the infilling, that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit subsequent to your salvation, I would love to pray with you to receive the Holy Spirit. We can't do, say for the thousandth time, we cannot do the things Jesus commanded us to do without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the clear instructions you've given, as hard as they may be to hear, as heavy as it may seem sometime, help us to rejoice in the fact that there's nothing you've called us to do, nothing you've commanded us to do that you haven't empowered us to do. And first of all, Lord, I pray, and I know This is the prayer of every believing, confessing believer in this room, that if there's anybody in here who does not yet know you as Father, does not yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would impress upon them, make known to them as only you can their need for a Savior today, and grant them the boldness to come, pray that prayer, and receive that gift, the wisdom to recognize how urgent it is, the humility to recognize that they cannot do it on their own. I pray, Lord, if there are believers in here who are struggling with sin, who are struggling with taking their sins seriously, that you would move on us all, that you sharpen our conscience, soften our hearts, break up the things that have been hard against you and and, uh, tolerant 
of the things that make us less holy and indeed make us holy. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And create in all of us a hunger for the fullness of your Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go ahead and sing a song. If you want to come up, give your life to Christ receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or simply pray to rededicate yourself to living in a way that honors Him, the altars are open. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website, at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.